don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. One of the more popular topics we have is situational awareness. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've discussed that, and I've had questions over the years about different types of exercises for them. Today, we're going to focus solely on some exercises you can do to increase situational awareness. We're going to do some simple fun ones like we do with kids and different ways to do those. Those are great for you, too. You can make a game out of them with your kids. That's really important to do in today's day and age, and I'll, I'll go into why. But I'm also going to give you some examples of some very serious ones It's going to take some professional assistance to do. It's going to sound a lot like what you might pay for, but give you an idea how serious these can get. There are places out there where you can get training like this, but we're going to look at some of the more advanced situational awareness exercises to help you work through critical thinking, dealing with situations involving emergencies, but they can be applied to almost any subject. So situational awareness, some training exercises for you, the kids, and whoever else right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight. One of the reasons I mentioned this is great for kids is why people like a lot of the shows about like active shooter and identifying threats and different things we can do. There are people that do write in and talk to me about their kids and their families and ways to help teach and train them. That's what makes things like these kids games and stuff real special. They're great for communicating on smaller level people like kids, people that are not yet developed mentally or have not learned enough in life about bigger ideas and bigger things and the younger people are when they're kids the more fun they like to have and games help them learn that's why a lot of game i'm you know there's a lot of mindless games out there but ones you can really learn from but these are great for adults too and that's the thing you can start teaching them situational awareness enough that you can upgrade them to other regular board games more involved board games like monopoly or something and maybe they start catching on to things paying attention to more things in the world that's what situational awareness is really about is how can we get them to pay more attention what are different things that we can do to work these types of ideas out. So looking at these, I'll give you a few. One of the games we can play is just a basic color code game where we're trying to enhance observational skills and attention to details. I'll give you ways to do these, but you can find ways on your own to alter them, whatever works best for you and your environment. So for the day, you choose a color just for the whole day. And throughout the day, you want your kids to note and remember when they see the color in the environment and what they see. Depending on their age, you want them either to write them down or maybe get to the point where they try to memorize them. You can even expand this into word association or ways to use your memory to remember objects, places, and things using different memory skills that you can look up all the different ways people do that. And you can do it by a color-based system. You can also do this with numbers, how many times you see the number four or whatever, but I'm just using the color example. Then you ask them for the list and what they saw the color and to talk about it. 
You can also, for younger kids, make this something shorter, like an adventure. As we go to the grocery store, I want you to find 10 different things in the grocery store while you're going with me that are red, depending on their age and what they can do. And maybe they're just going to point it out to the car, but that way you're keeping their mind involved, engaged. They're developing memory skills. They're building neural pathways, and they're also not trying to buy every marshmallow candy bar they see and driving you nuts. So perhaps that will help in that aspect. Another thing we can do is sound mapping where we work on our auditorial situational awareness, basically the hearing, where we do the quiet outdoor space. And this is very similar to what I've told people to do when trying to do depth perception, listening and identifying conversations in restaurants. But this is the idea where we sit down, we be still, we close our eyes and we listen and we start hearing the sounds. And it's more fun in nature if nature is not the environment you're in or in the city if you're used to being in the nature and trying to draw a map of the locations, even if they're just drawing arrows from where they're at. So I did a whole show where I discussed this a couple of years ago, take that onto a lesser version or something that's tailored to your audience of what you want to do, and then discussing the sounds and where they think they came from. And, you know, if you were to give the sound a volume level of 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, where would you put it, and where would you put it in relation to this? How far do you think it was away? Oh, it was a siren, but what kind of siren? Do you know that that siren, you know it's probably a police car, or do you know it's different? If it's, say, a fire truck, do you know what the difference is in this town? That type of thing. You know, and they might be hearing birds. They might be hearing leaves rustling. But it's a good situational awareness exercises. thing is, this is part of one part. That right there is one part of the things we used to do in the military where we just stop, look, listen, and smell during security halts when we're doing patrols and moving through. And everybody that does tactical stuff does something like this during these movements where we're in these environments where we're working dismounted patrols, military guys, and we're doing some sort of stopping procedure. And we're always looking, listening, and smelling. And it's a situation awareness exercise. It's never really explained that well. Another thing we can look at is things that are missing to improve memory and attention to our environment. So you want to take a bunch of objects on a tray. This is a very common game you're probably familiar with. And you let, you let the people observe it for however long, a minute, two minutes, whatever. And then you cover it, and then... You have them recall everything that's on there. But even a simpler version of that is you cover the tray or have them turn around and you remove one item and have them try to identify the item. And then maybe if they're getting a little good at that, do the same thing, but move the items around so they're all not in the same spot so that when you pull one out, they have to pay a little more attention to which one's missing. Or you could say maybe you have items in there. You don't really move any out of there. You leave, I'll say you have 10, you leave all 10, but you turn one 90 degrees and say which one's different, which one's changed. It's another way to do the game we've seen. I think there's even apps on phones for this where you have two pictures and you got to identify the differences. But instead of having it side by side, you got to do it from memory. So there's multiple variations on how you can do this just to look for missing objects and items and things that are changed or different. So it, and you just use things that they know and understand. So for kids, you might be using, you know, say items from school like pencils, erasers, and protractors, or you might be using their Barbie dolls or their toy cars or whatever. You know, we can do things like scavenger hunts where we're trying to, you can, so many things with scavenger hunts, they don't have to be out in the woods, but you can use them to teach situational awareness, but also safety and finding hazards, identifying hazards. You can do problem solving. There's all kinds of things you can build into how you do these hunts. You can do them inside, outside, in the house. You can do them at the store. I've seen guys do entire YouTube shows on scavenger hunts. I saw a couple guys. There were military guys that both went into Walmart. It was essentially a scavenger hunt. They had $100. They couldn't go over $100. And they had to get, I think they had to get at least five items or three items, but as many items as they could. If that was the only thing they could buy, all they could get for $100 for like 
an overnighter or two overnight survival situation, what are the things that they would find and buy? So we can create a list of items and hazards to find. So let's say I want you to find a fire extinguisher, a safety sign, you know, a hazard sign. Thing, these are the types of things we could be looking for. And it doesn't have to be this. I'm using this as an exam- example for kids to help them identify hazards and hazard signs and exits and safety signs and things you may want them to know that we take for granted for adults. You can, of course, build this into anything. You could say, go outside and I want you to find one butterfly, one Tweety Bird, you know, whatever. So they go and try to find these things. Now, one of the things that can make these more interesting, too, is you can do it with, if the kids are old enough that they have cell phones, we played this game in Hawaii. I don't remember what we called it. There was some stupid game, but anyway, we're running in squads of nine dudes. We're given a watermelon and a big one. And we're given locations on the base and a camera. And this is cell phones didn't even exist yet. So we had a digital camera. So we had to go on a run with the watermelon. The watermelon had survived the run, not even a crack on it. And so that sounds simple, but when you're running around in Hawaii, your hands get sweaty. You got to change that thing out. You got to not run fast. So you'd have to go to this place. You'd have to take a picture. Your whole squad would have to be in there minus one person. That's the one person taking the photograph. Oh, no, it was your whole squad. The one person taking the photographs was like an advisor. They weren't even in your squad. So I think like our executive officer ran with us. So they're making sure we didn't cheat. And in the photo, you had to have all of you, your watermelon and the location. The location had to be clearly identifiable. And so it was a great way to do it. So with kids, you could do that like, okay, you're going to go take a selfie or picture of these items. And they have to be clearly identifiable. So don't don't stand 50 feet away and take a picture of the exit side. And I want to, you know, see it clearly. Make the rules however you need to. And maybe that's the way they could do it. You know, and there's all kinds of things like that. Smoke detectors, you know, emergency flashlights. Whatever you want them to find or know how to use in your house. And you just tailor it based on their age and what's important to them. Take the same game. You can apply it to teaching them how to, you know, handle knives and put knives away in the kitchen. Or how to identify certain kitchen utensils or how to identify the spices or maybe you want to teach them about arts and crafts or maybe you're just doing it while they're learning how to read and you want them to go learn okay i want you to go find in the house i want you to go find um here's the first five letters of the alphabet you've learned a b c d and e and i want you to go five find five words written down somewhere in the house to start with that letter you know all kinds of variations you just tailor to your audience their age and what they can do Another thing we can do is directional awareness. So we want to enhance spatial orientation and directional awareness. This is a really great exercise. We want an open space, preferably. Of course, that's relative depending on the age of the people and what you're dealing with. But ideally, what we want to do is have some sort of marker. Eh, We can do this when we're teaching Learn a Compass, or we can have flags or poles or something out there identifying our cardinal directions, even get more specific than just north, south, east, and west if you want to. You can... I've done things like this with compasses using degree marks, whatever you want to do. And then we call out the direction. So North or West or Southeast and have the children run to the correct marker. So they're learning their directions. You're wearing them out because, you know, cause I just came over as, as the crazy uncle and just let them do lines of refined sugar and snort them up their nose. So we got to wear them out. So now they're out there running around and we learn how to go to those right directions. And then as they run there and learn how to do them, if you want to do that, you can do different things and add on to it. We could start learning like, say, um, celestial navigation and identifying the North Star and running to it or during a crescent moon so we can see where the east-west line is or different star constellations based on where these ideas are. Or we could say certain points on the house. So you know that if you're standing here, if you look 
at our house this way and you see the chimney, you know generally that's southwest, whatever it is. And then we can do this for other things as well. It doesn't have to be directions. You can use the same physical setup and do numbers, teaching numbers or letters to teach them how to read. You could do it in a room. You can take like variations of games, you know, like when they had Survivor, but to have all the other games, team games like that, where guys do stuff in competition and kids' games. And here's the thing. Do this with adults too. Some of these kid games people think are fun as adults. These are fun and silly to do. They're awesome to do in parties where everybody's been drinking as long as nobody's going to die. Lots of ways to have kids' games be fun for adults, too, and they're just great exercises that can teach situational awareness. And I'm sure you've already thought of many ways to expound these on the variations of what I said to create your own idea. You know, other things we can do is role-playing scenarios that are good for kids. People always talk about stranger danger and stuff, and I, I think that's all great. One thing that I don't think I've ever said it in front of anybody, but a lot of times in movies you see things and they're like, well, my name's Bob. And your name's Sally, and we've met, so now we're not strangers. Now, I think every time I've seen that movie, it was very innocent. We knew everybody was a good guy; nothing bad was going to happen. But I'm like, I'm like, man, that kind of—I don't—I think that's irresponsible. I think we're teaching kids that if that situation happens, that person's not a stranger anymore. When in fact, just knowing their name, they're still a stranger and can be dangerous. But you can role play these scenarios. The same thing as having like safe words, not the kind you're thinking about, but you can have safe words where you tell your kids that. If this, you know, you pick a word that's unique to them for a certain reason that reasonably we're not ever going to use. And then if I use it, here's what it means. And it could mean no matter what anybody says, you're to get up out of class, leave school right now, and I'm picking you up in front. You know, it could be something like that. You know, in the same way we use pizza for the domestic violence phone calls, we can teach kids and phrases like that and things for safety. There's other things out there that do exist. And some of them are very cultural where we can look at different types of things we can use in role-playing scenarios and, and use them so they can understand like, you know, what's the right way to talk to an adult or what's the right way to talk to a police officer? Maybe we do those things, but how do we talk to a stranger? How do we say no? What's the right way to get attention if we need it? You know, where do I go to if I need help? That type of thing. And you can role play those scenarios and they may seem simple and cheesy, but they're helpful, especially to younger kids as they grow. Now to go a little deeper, I want to give you some ideas of some more grown up, more in depth situational training exercises, situational awareness. When you hear these, you'll probably realize that you've seen something like this before. Probably didn't think it was situational awareness. When I was in the military, especially when I was in the infantry, you know, looking back, a great number of things we did that might fall under the category of what people called maneuvers in a much older time frame when we're doing our tactical training scenarios. Aside from everything involved, one of the biggest things it was teaching us was situational awareness to some degree. In fact, I learned a lot more about situational awareness without knowing it while I was in the military than anywhere else, including when it was taught to me intentionally. And you see these things a lot in emergency services and other places, which some examples will be along those lines. But we can use these anywhere, even in corporate training scenarios, whatever you want to use them for. So an idea of some of those is to look at like some emergency response simulations. There was a study by a game named uh, Machi Juiski or Maciej Juski, that's probably how you say it, it's Polish, in 2008, discussing the use of affordable, mobile, state-of-the-art emergency response test beds, integrating like uh, low-cost products for training. So it allowed for tracking, recording, small unit exercises for evaluation. See, this already sounds super technical, right? So you'd create a simulated emergency scenario, like a building fire or some sort of medical emergency. So this is where you need experts in that can build the scenario around 
the details of what you're doing and can make this as in-depth as you want. These are just overview ideas of how to do it. So the participants, whoever's there, they got to navigate the scenario successfully making decisions based on the involving information. So with things like the building fire, your participants, you designate their roles. So maybe they're not firefighters. They're the neighbor people that are out walking the dog and they saw it. Here's the information they have. So then they react. Then as they react, you can add more information or more changes to the scenario. Not to mess with them. It's just things that they would then become aware of. Three houses down, you see smoke coming out of the upper window. You're not sure if it's a fire or what it is. You see somebody frantic outside that looks like your neighbor Sally on the phone. And you choose to run down there to see what's going on. So then you make them run down there, right? Make them, make them do the exercise. And they get down there. Then you have somebody role-playing Sally, being all crazy, was there trying to talk to them. Here's the information they need to get. Then new information is introduced, either you by the observer controller or by Sally telling them about the dog stuck inside of their daughter or whatever. How are you going to do this? Who's calling the cops? Who are they calling? Maybe the situation is, oh, she's not calling emergency services. She's calling her husband because she's panicking because that's what people might do. And, and you can make these changes like this and let people navigate realistic scenarios to see how they would react. So you want it to be a realistic scenario. You want variables that will affect the outcomes. You don't, don't be a dick about it. Don't make it like a guaranteed fail or a guaranteed win. Make it a learning development process for critical thinking or situational awareness or just how to properly deal with the situation because maybe the entire purpose of this is how to communicate to emergency services on the phone as well as when they arrive. Whatever your goals are, make it realistic to that but have other things. So, you know, it could be just they need to decide on evacuation modes out of the building. Maybe maybe while you're running the scenario, let's say you're running the scenario and you're in sort of a complex, like a corporate complex. Let's say you can do it there for whatever reason. You could have another group inside that's doing the exact same thing at the exact same time in the simulation. But what they're focusing on are the evacuation routes out of the building based on the evacuation information's there. But then they run into obstacles like, hey, this elevator's down for repairs or, hey, there's a water on the stairs because there's a leak. Do you want to go down there or not? All kinds of things you can do. There was another person called Golan back in 2016 that talked about the importance of situational training in teaching emergency medicine to doctors and about situational awareness. So the exercise focused on perception, comprehension, and projection in a cold environment. This is more for medical professionals. Where they'd create a medical emergency scenario in a simulation lab and then they had to diagnose, treat patients, and adapting to new symptoms or complications, where the evaluation was assessing the decision-making and adaptability in these dynamic situations. So they'd have to treat a simulated patient with, say, an allergic reaction or a trauma wound or a gunshot wound, whatever it is, and adjust to the patient's condition as it evolves. So they would be there, and, and whether or not they used equipment or whatever, they'd be saying, okay, you've discovered this, you discovered this, what are you doing? It's very similar to having conversations where you go, what would you do in this situation? But then you add in the role playing, you add in the equipment, as much things as you can to make it more realistic looking, feeling, and at the actual pace an event would happen. This type of thing is very similar to small scale, scale uh, training scenarios we had in the military, even up to the big events when you go to like the National Training Center, where you were given a certain amount of information, you would go do, a, we'd call it a mission, but you'd be doing scenario-based training like this, and then we would add on things as it happened and based on what was there, how you reacted, how you did it. You know, we had grading standards. Sometimes the grading standards evaluation process isn't known because it's too big or shouldn't be. Sometimes it is. And then it evolves and changes based on the decisions you make. So when you're doing these scenarios and training, the other thing to understand is no matter how you build it, the reason you need experts and you need a very good control plan is you want to include and add in 
realistic variables and changes that are almost like selections and choices, not applying pressure unless needed. And then based on the choice they make, there's different outcomes that are available and the things they have to navigate. Then that's not always a problem. It's like the old choose your own adventure books. This has been done in other things too, like cyber situational awareness, things with computers as well. So it, it really depends on the idea of what you wanted to do for. And those are just a couple examples, but they can get that in depth. Thing is you can do a combination of both of them. So you can take something as simple as, okay, I want to teach this little kid how to identify hazards. And so for them, the hazard might be a pothole that we want to walk around or whether or not the water, you know, how deep the water is, or we don't want to drive through here because there's water. From there, maybe we move on to, as they develop the skill or get older, where we're identifying things about hazards and how we can deal with them. So now we're moving on to the fire alarm or the fire extinguisher or the smoke detector. And then maybe where it's how to use the fire extinguisher, you know, how to use the first aid kit and how to use a bandaid. But then maybe one day we progress that up to where we're using trauma items and how to use tourniquets and you know, how to pack wounds, you know, and eventually those things get added on and up maybe over time or whoever you're doing it with, or maybe they do it with their friends or they do it with other people. And then eventually it gets built up in these scenarios like we see in training with emergency services, the military, where it's one part of a much bigger evaluated operation, but on just this one little medical portion, we have to do all these items we just seen. Plus we have to report the information on what's happening or we have to document it correctly and it can get very elaborate. So you can take all these small items and you can make them big, change them and evolve them over time. And you can make your own game out. In fact, hey, if you're the person out there that takes this and has a great idea and you develop a game for kids and you actually sell it on Amazon and make money, please let me know. I'd love to know that I inspired that, but I'd love to see what you come up with. And definitely check the show notes out on this one because I want some ideas from you about different things that you've seen or thought of while listening to the show. There could be great situational awareness exercises or training scenarios for kids or adults. And you can take this as long as I think almost every situational awareness one I've ever done before has some sort of example that you can do in there and you can look at these and come up with your own. And in case you're new to the show or you haven't checked old situation awareness for a while, look at the, if you're on Spotify or Apple or anywhere that you can see the individual uh, cover photo for the episode. This one with Chippy the Secret Squirrel saying Spycraft is the new cover symbol I'm using for what we might call tradecraft or spycraft stuff, including situational awareness. So all the previous ones like that, that's where you'll find situational awareness ones. And most importantly, don't forget, situational awareness isn't just paying attention. In fact, that's arrogant to say. It's an intentional observational practice and principle focused on things everywhere from baselines to identifying changes and norms and evolving patterns, and then taking that and using it to make decisions and well-informed, critical-based decision-making for the future based on what might develop around you at the time. It's very in-depth, and it's far more than just paying attention or keeping your head on a swivel. Which, if you've been listening for a while, you know are probably the two dumbest things I think are out there when we talk about this subject. 